This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. What's up, simple passive cash flow listeners? Today we are going to be talking to Joe Monstrano, who is the keeper of let's get it right, taxproblem.org. So Joe helps out folks who've gotten into trouble with the IRS and he is well-versed in you know the process and kind of what we wanted to do is kind of demystify the whole tax. You know, It, it seems like people think that if you make one little missed an I on, on a T or whatnot, you're going to get hauled off to jail. Of course, we want to mitigate that from happening and we're not to do any fraud or any willful violations here. But we wanted to do is kind of, you know, uncover through Joe's experience, really what happens, you know, when IRS kind of audits or what's the process in general. But yeah, welcome to the show, Joe. Yes, I'm very happy to be here. I spent the last 42 years in my CPA firm, and as I go, and it's just amazing how mixed up people are and don't have the right information in dealing properly with the IRS. It took hundreds of cases. I quit counting after a few thousand cases, literally, because they don't follow their own guides. And you have to, it's a government office and you have to get to know the people. And so I'm ready. I have a four-part audit prevention checklist that works that to this day, anytime we use it, nobody's been audited that I know of. I'd like to start first one. And I want to say that you don't get good information from the IRS, the media, or these tax tax firms or software companies. They tend to have their own agenda more than your benefit in mind. And so I say from experience, don't file by April 15th. File an extension, file a few days before the extension. What a lot of people do is they go to a tax preparer and they give them documents and they call up the program, they put the documents in, they tell you what your refund is or how much you have to pay. And people are done. They walk away without an understanding of what it takes to defend the return. So the IRS has a wage and income transcript. It's a list of third-party payers, 1099s, K-1s from partnerships, from sub-S corporations. And you need to know what the IRS has on you. So each of those items that go on your return can be listed separately and you don't fail the matching program. They have a program that matches things up. So when your accountant takes five 1099s from properties and puts it all together, the IRS doesn't know if you reported each of those individual 1099s. We list them separately on the return. The wage and income transcript doesn't settle until like August, September, because there's always errors and changes being made. And some companies get audited and they have to fix the W-2s and 1099s where they amend. Like I used to do a bunch of real estate partnership returns. And way after the deadline, 
They're amending those returns for different depreciation rates, carryovers, things like that. And so you want to wait to that time and file a few days before the end of the extension, because when you file a few days before the end, over 90% of returns have been selected for audit. So you file an extension, file a few days before the end, match the wage and income transcript around August, September. You can pull it sooner if you know that there's not going to be any changes. Some people have very simple situations. And the other thing is to document on the return. I'm thinking of an audit appeal that I did on a taxpayer that bought four shell houses in Florida and he had a full-time job and his wife used to take the kids there and they built up the houses. Each house was going to sell for about a million each. They disallowed the mileage log and they thought all they had to do was write down where they went and what supplies that they bought and that would be enough. And when we went into the appeal, first we had them redo the mileage log in a lot more detail. Went to Home Depot, bought nails, bought a glue gun, things like that. But in the appeal, they wanted pictures. They said, how do I know you didn't use this for other property or your own personal residence or family residence? They wanted you to take progress pictures. So it's very important that the industry that you're in, that you understand what auditors look for in order to support your deductions. Because most of my outside salespeople that do use their vehicles, they don't understand that part of the mileage log needs to show them exactly what you did, that it was for your business, and how you made money by doing it, not just in the place you went to and the mileage. So when your return is done and you have different income issues or expense issues, we footnote on the return, taxpayer understands the code, understands the regs, taxpayer has a mileage log, taxpayer can prove this and that. And that keeps auditors, I talk to a lot of auditors, that that keeps them away. Now, so I think, you know, something that comes to mind when I personally do this is like, if there's a receipt of taking a client out or doing something, I'll usually write a little scribble on the, the receipt. No different than when I was a corporate employee, you know, how we would back up, you know, it's probably not necessary, but hey, you got two seconds, you know, you can kind of do that and take a cell phone picture and put and upload it. Of course, I, you know, have in-house team to do that in my bookkeeping these days, but it's not something that somebody can do at home. Just a little bit extra I, I level of detail. But I do think it's necessary. Um, I had a salesperson that sold insurance that had all her receipts denied because she didn't write what was discussed at the at the meeting. I wanted to go back to starting at the top. Like you said, filing in April, to me, that's what we're all taught. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of our listeners, they're kind of the good boys and girls who always listen to the teacher's directions. 
we, we tell them, well, we're not giving any tax or legal advice here, of course, right? Just two guys talking. But really, I don't know why one would want to file in April, you know, unless you're a bonehead, you know, file when all the cool kids do it in October, exactly for what you're saying. It's safer because, you know, they've already, you know, you're going to give the IRS an extra, what, six months to audit you. They're already, they're going to pick apart those people who file early. And then, like you exactly. said, all the, you know, the kind of the numbers have been established, right? And in the way, correct me if I'm wrong here, here's how I kind of explain it in a different way. Right. The IRS has all this data. They've got more data than to you to know what to do with it. You know, they're tracking everything these days Absolutely. and they have a certain amount of income averages and expense ratios per averages for businesses where you're a pizza. I mean, that's how they got the pizza guys, right? They audited the pizza and they kind of tracked how many pizza boxes they order. Although that- if you've been listening to the Simple Passive Cashflow podcast since 2016, you have seen me, well, change my mind a few times. At one time, I thought buying a bunch of rentals was the way to financial freedom, so you could be that cool guy at the local real estate club with all the other misguided landlords. As I became an accredited investor, I discovered the three-step system that we use today. First, syndication deals where you don't invest with dishonest operators to get better returns than the 401k financial planner garbage. Second step, get passive losses to unlock the tax best practices that the wealthy employ. And last and least impactful, number three, infinite banking. If your net worth is not yet $1 million, check out my free turnkey rental remote e-course at simplepassacashflow.com slash turnkey. All right, speaking to accredited investor to accredited investor, my one, two, three system is very simple to implement, but it requires plugging into a community of purely passive accredited investors like ours. Join our investor club for more insider access. Go to simplepassacashflow.com slash club. Those who are looking to deploy more than $250,000 their first year or make over $300,000 in annual income or net worth over a couple million dollars should really look into our exclusive inner circle called the Family Office HANA Mastermind, FOOM for short. Learn more at simplepassivecashflow.com slash journey. That's a very extreme case and don't... No, no, it's not. I had a guy who sold popcorn and they counted the bags that he filled it with, the amount of oil he bought to determine if he was pocketing cash. Yeah. Although I would say I would, I'm going to say a lot of that's just fear porn folks. If you're just a little passive investor at home, dude, don't worry about that. I would feel more. I always say this within my inner circle group. I feel more worried about getting hit by the bus. Somebody stealing my identity, which happens all the time. Anyway, you can't do a damn thing about it. No. Or then to kind of worry about these types of things. But you know, this is, I think, where it's important. Like if you take up a, a certain business out of the sky, there's a certain expense ratio that's very typical in that. And I think it's important to kind of know where that is. But definitely, I think more times than not, you guys out there are undershooting that and need to be taking more business deductions to get up to that average normal. But at the very least, right, like Joe is saying, don't be a bonehead and fall in April. File yeah, later yeah. on in the well, year. You know, that, that's a different school of thought. They call it the DIF score, DIF, discriminant income function, where they put the average on each deduction. People used to use that, do that years ago, like for contributions. What's the average contributions that people would make if they had my salary and situation? And accountants would put that down regardless if. They, they spent it or not, uh, quit practicing that way, I guess, the mid or late 80s. I've gotten very conservative in the sense that I don't want people to do anything to break the law or cause an audit. 
But I do believe you should take every deduction possible that you can support that makes sense, regardless of the average. Like I said, when I use my four-part checklist, I've been aggressive. Not one person I know was audited. So if you've got extra mileage or even entertainment, you could say on the return itself, I'm aware that my entertainment expense might look high. However, three months later, I got the following sale that led to profit. So if you can justify, because I've heard a podcast before talking about very unnecessary expenses, but if you have an extraordinary expense, the burden of proof becomes on you but you don't leave it off the return because it's not ordinary and necessary. What you're saying is kind of throw it on in either a handwritten thing or a memo on the tax return. Yes. I'm just worried that our folks at home, you know, here, here's the problem, right? A lot of our investors are not business owners. They've never owned a business. They probably never will. But they hear these types of kind of gray area like advice. And then they'll write a freaking novel on this stuff, right? Uh-huh. Justifying their how they came to Hawaii and spent $500. They shouldn't do their own returns. I have plenty of people who do their own return and they pay for an hour for me to review it and put the notes on. Like you're saying, it's up to your tax repair and it's up to them if they want to spin around the the office chair writing all these random notes late into the evening then, which likely they will not or to kind of just do it to a certain extent. Is that typically Well, you you can't e-file. For for many years, I, I've preached that, you know, we do paper returns. As a firm, we don't e-file because if you do more than 10 returns and file them for taxpayers, you have to e-file every return. Well, it's only recently, I think a year or two ago, where you can add a PDF and they make it hard because instead of just the Schedule C, the bottom of it for self-employed can expand now and you can put your notes there. But if you need bigger notes in other sections, you have to go to another area, print out a PDF, attach it to the return. And so you could get away with e-filing, but most people don't know how to do that. And why you know, to me, it's another area that the IRS is making harder for taxpayers. And this whole idea of forcing people to e-file too. You shouldn't write books. You should do what I mentioned earlier. Taxpayer understands the code and regs. Taxpayer, you have to look up. This is why people shouldn't do their own returns too. Each expense item has their own rules. And you can't just say, save your receipts and your canceled checks and your invoices, because those rules have to apply. I've had one tax preparer tell people that if they use their cell phone for business, they can deduct the phone. But the IRS auditors say, no, you have to have a separate line or a separate phone specifically for business. They don't care if you make business calls on your personal cell phone. So there's all these little quirks that, which is why people shouldn't file. The tax programs will explain the law as it is written, 
but they won't explain. J.K. Lasses does a good job. J.K. Lasses, your income tax. But they don't do a good job telling you what IRS auditors expect for evidence. That That's the key. I think a couple examples come to mind. You mentioned one of them, like the whole travel and entertainment, right? Up, yeah. up into like a, several years ago, you know, you could go golfing. You could go do things that fall yes. under entertainment for your clients or if you're trying to build connections with other investors, to me, that's kind of the same thing. That's critical and necessary to your passive investing, but they kibosh entertainment, right? But how do you still pass it, push it through? I guess is well, the question. Again, if you, I use my four part checklist, so nobody's audited. And then you write notes. So what, what is that four point checklist? You've mentioned it three times. I ain't going to let you leave here until you tell, uh, tell us which, what they are, man. No, I'm happy. <laughs> File an extension. File a paper return and put notes on there. Not a whole history. All your notes have to do is say you followed the code and the regs and that you have the documented proof that's required. That's it. They don't want to know, you know, how you did it or where you got your money from or all of that. They want to know because they pull returns for audit and then they get together and they go, oh, look, this one, we can get some money. This one, we can get some money and they throw the rest back. And so if you're telling them you've got the documents that they're looking for, chances are they'll throw that back and go it's not even wor- worth else. our time right exactly. if they got all these other nine out of ten guys exactly. that don't have anything exactly right? and- so here's my okay. follow-up question on that one sure. yeah is this all makes sense and yeah you can't be the one the individual tax filer unless you're a cpa which you probably shouldn't be doing your own taxes anyway i don't know why you would want to jeopardize your livelihood doing your own stuff but does this is there's a cost benefit analysis to it, right? Like if you're gonna have your CPA write all these notes here, or there you're gonna be, have to expect to pay a professional's wage, which is five hundred thousand dollars an hour, to have this happen, right? So most cases only run a few grand. I've done some for two, some run five to ten. Appeal well, offers can be more. I do have to say there has been a change. Since COVID, um, the IRS has fallen apart. I could sit here all day long and tell you horror stories about them. But what I'm personally experiencing is auditors denying deductions, even if you have the receipts, because they're hungry to get money from the public now. And I've watched collection offices file levies on liabilities that haven't even been assessed to the taxpayer they're breaking the law. They're not, you know, not as a whole. These are individual people. I know a lot of people at the IRS that I have a lot of respect for. But when you have a government office that's not being watched carefully, a lot of people are leaving. They're working from home. They've got broken equipment. I know some managers, they're managing two and three groups instead of just their own group. My heart goes out to them. They're pulled in many directions. But now that I've been doing this for so long, I'm starting to see the lack of education from, let's say, 10, 15 years ago. I'm dealing with managers that don't even know the law. And I'm having to educate them, and they're too busy to even listen. They're like, well, go bring it to court or something. I mean, they don't actually say that, but that that's their attitude. So it's very dangerous now. 
I've represented tax preparers before the IRS, over a dozen of them in the last few years, because just because someone does tax returns doesn't mean that they understand how the IRS is going to look at the situation. So is the takeaway, like based on what you said, since there's a lot of, I guess, what's the word, disarray within the IRS, yeah, just put yeah. it in and see what happens and tr- no, back it up it, as best it, as you can? Get professional help. And as I mentioned earlier, there are people, I have clients that love to do their own return because they want that control. They don't want to just hand it off. And I, I don't blame them for that. And I'll recommend a tax book like J.K. Lass's Your Income Tax or whatever tax book is going to explain to them what the IRS looks for as evidence for what's on your return. And then I say, bring it in and review it from the standpoint of, is this audit proofed or not? Does this match the wage and income transcript? Have, do you have 1099s you haven't listed separately? Have you explained your deductions so that auditors would stay away from the returns? Does the numbers make sense? You made 500000 gross, but now your net taxable income is only 20000 and you got a family of four. How did everybody live? You've got to do common sense things from the standpoint of how the IRS is going to look at your return beyond those diff score numbers that we talked about earlier. So what's the next part of your checklist, your auto-proof checklist? It's funny because I talk about it and I'm sorry, I don't have a particular order. I could just put an order and say. Well, I mean, that's good because we don't want those polished speakers, right? Those are the guys <laughs> that are fake it to makes it on the other podcasts that are just really polished speakers. You know, that's the whole point of this podcast, right? We want to help people out, give them the insider perspective, even if it does come out a little raw. You know, these, I think these are the conversations that a lot of people miss out. Like you mentioned, not e-filing. I don't know if that's really practical though, but I have gotten into conversations with other CPAs saying that they always send their registered mail into the IRS and they always take a silly little picture before they send it off at the freaking mailbox. (laughs) Well, let me tell you about that. Again, I've done this for over 40 years. I started doing taxes when I was 25 in 1970, when I was 19, rather, in in 1975. If you want to get penalties off, you want to show evidence that you filed the return on time. That's a very smart thing to do. In the past, we would get notarized statements saying, on Tuesday, March 15th, I went to the mailbox on the corner of uh, Davis and Jones Street and put it in. You've got to be very specific, and they would give it to you. But now they're taking liberties like crazy, so I don't blame that guy for taking a picture. I might use that also. But the other thing you said, I'm trying trying to remember, oh, the e-filing. No, it's more difficult to e-file. Give you an example. I filed my 2021 return right before October 15th. And within six weeks, I got my refund. Full amount was a big refund, too. I overpaid. And it was put into my checking account. So there's no fear in in that. And a lot of 
greenhorns that don't have the years of experience are very scared. And I don't blame them because you see all these things on, on the news. And hey, in 2020, one of the three CAF units, central authorization file, where you file power of attorneys, one of them was throwing them in the garbage. I have several power of attorneys that they never got until they told me that that's what they were doing. Now, I have a big broker statement. When you refile, you have to put the payer's name, address, and ID, as well as the payee information. You can't get an e-file return through unless you got some clerical person keying in every single number they want. If there's a discrepancy, See, I didn't agree with my broker statement, and I had to make some changes. Well, because I had changes and it didn't match up 100% with the broker statement, I wasn't allowed to e-file. So in practice, and you can ask your CPAs that tell you this, you can go through a whole e-filing thing and at the last minute discover that you're missing one or two things or something doesn't balance and then you can't e-file at all. There's more work clerically in e-filing than doing a paper return. I think as kind of we're going through this, to me, the takeaway is, like you said, part of the process is they kind of use the diff scores or whatever high level AI or whatever to pick out a certain percentage of returns. Then they might go look, actually go look at the dang thing. And if you look, you don't want to be kind of like, what is the saying? The, the slowest person running right away from the bear or like the person oh, who oh, oh, yeah. you, you, right. looks exposed. You don't exposed need to be to... fast. You just need to be faster than the other guy. Yeah, it seems to be kind <laughs> of the takeaway here. And yeah, don't be a bonehead and do turbo tax yeah. or whatever by yourself. And, I, and I'm yeah. saying that specifically because a lot of our folks will do that because They like to do the cheap, easy, free, which you always get burned. And I'll say that because I used to do that not too long ago. And yeah, it's going to cost you a grand or two to do your taxes. But, you know, that's what the it's like the other commercial I saw. Like, hey, if you guys are in the car, they're like, oh, what insurance company you're working with? When are you going to get a grown up insurance company? You know, it's kind of like the same thing here. When are you going to grow up and have not your computer TurboTax to your taxes for or once? Or having no. an AOL email. <laughs> Did we miss anything out of the check checklist here? No, it's filing the extension, matching things up, filing at the right time, You know, matching things up with the wage and income transcript, filing at the right time, and having the right explanations on the return. That um statement that she just mentioned, the transcript, uh, is that to- similar... Is it similar to like some of the investors, they may have like a holding company and employ like a S-corp strategy where they push off some of their income to dividends, but they have to pay themselves a reasonable salary. Yes. Is that where they're getting that reasonable salary for, from about? I operate as an S-corp. I'm a sole member of S-corp. Reasonable salary. And this that's very good because a lot of people don't understand this. I've seen some videos by attorneys that were just going to get people in trouble. The salary, you have to look at your monthly living expenses. And whatever your monthly living expenses is, if you put that in your salary, then the rest you could take from the K-1 and not have to pay payroll taxes on it. 
But if you arbitrarily see years ago, they closed that loophole. Years ago, people would take very small salaries and let a, a big chunk fall out on the K-1 and not have to pay you know, self-employment tax. But now the audit test for that is your guaranteed expenses. Because like if you have a partner, you have guaranteed payments to partners. And the guaranteed payments are going to be what they take out each month. I know a lot of people take different amounts out each month, but they're taking it out to pay their mortgage payment, their car payment, personal expenses. So whatever that is, that should be the guaranteed payments to partners. And then the rest should fall out through the K-1. Because I think some of the questionable activities that are shared through YouTube land is, all right, well, I'm the owner of this company, but I do the duties of a low-level manager. So therefore, my salary is 80 to 120 grand. And but really, you're saying it needs to be it needs to line up against like how much expenses and liabilities of the company is pushing out. So if that company is a $2 million revenue company, that ain't going to fly. Well, it's what that individual spends. If he says he's an $80,000, person and that's how he lives, no problem. But if you're paying, you know, 10000 a month for mortgage and you've got a lot of other expenses, then you know you're going to be taking that out of the company and that should be your guaranteed payments to partners. So correct me if I'm wrong here. So I get it right. So that you need okay. to line it up, not with anything with to do with the business, but your no. own personal exactly. expenses. So if your burn exactly. rate's five grand or fifteen grand, it kind of needs to line up right. to hit that. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, but what that, about if you like any other good entrepreneur? You've got three of these companies feeding I'm your sorry. lifestyle. You've got like three of these companies feeding your lifestyle. You've got a a tanning salon booth, you've got a Chick-fil-A and your LP holding company. I think you should focus on just one of them because you'll make more money in that one than you would on the other three. But that that's beside. Yes, of course. But we're talking about taxes here, right? right. How much salary you're pulling right. out of each. Right. Well, I mean, you... you combine it together. That That's why they have brother sister corps and there's consolidated. And I know a, a lot of beginning tax preparers don't understand this, but you have to always look at the parent-child relationship and the brother-sister. You have to line up what the ownership is, and you might have to file a consolidated corporate return based on the ownership interests. So that would make it obvious where your expenses are for living. But if you did three separate, because a lot of people don't do that, and they'll file, even we don't do that sometimes, we'll have like one person owing three corporations. And it's tough because in one sub S, they may take a salary, and in another sub S, they already took their salary for their living expenses, so they don't take a salary. But you've got to explain that to the IRS, because when they look at that corporation where you didn't take a salary, they're going to say, well, you just did that to avoid payroll. So you really have to plan the person's whole situation 
and either do consolidated return or put notes on there. Taxpayer owns the following company. This is the ID number. You will find there's a salary of 200000 taken from that corporation to cover taxpayers' living expenses. Therefore, there's no need to take a salary from this corporation. I did want to point out one thing you mentioned earlier, kind of aside from taxes, Joe was mentioning like, you know, if you're kind of spreading yourself too thin, you got to focus on the damn thing, right? Keep the thing, the thing. Oh, which is, I learned that. For, I learned that the hard way. But, if you don't mind me, oh, go ahead. Yeah, people here. I mean, unfortunately, well, the people here that listen to the podcast, they're typically salary workers. I would say eighty okay. percent. The other twenty percent are business owners. Are exactly following that dogma there, which is keep the thing and thing. The people that are kind of following these gazillions of other entrepreneur podcasts are the exact kind of scatterheads that like focus on like four or five businesses and none of them are any good. But yeah. at this, I say that too, because sometimes we have folks that, you know, they might make 200, $300,000 a year and they start to focus on maybe sell, you know, some little side gig, but I'm like, just focus at your job. You're probably better off making 20% pay increase, getting a raise than trying to, do some other smaller thing that you don't really have the area expertise nor the track record to kind of push through. If I could add to that, usually that comes from hindsight because recently, well, about three years ago, I did a study on my own motivation and I actually developed a nonprofit called Manage Control of Your Life. And what I've learned is that if you don't practice facing things, the second you hit obstacles in one business, another type of business looks better. So relationships too. Oh, you have a partner and you're having problems and someone else comes along and they look better to you. Same thing with health. You're trying to diet and it's not working. And somebody says, oh, this diet here looks better. It's very easy when you're having trouble focusing on one thing. It's very easy for something else to come along and look better. Yeah. In the gym, we call that the beginner gains, right? You can increase your ah. strength and your fitness so quickly in the beginning. But yeah, come back when you've been lifting more than six months, bro. And we'll see where you're at, right? If you're still yeah. motivated. Same thing yeah. with business and like you said, relationships. Yeah. And that's why like even in this interview, I was like kind of, I don't know why I do this, but I got my inbox and somebody just sent me like a short-term rental and I'm like kind of curious. And I'm <laughs> like, no, I got to like, what the heck am I doing? We run One of a, my big know. things <laughs> in my McCoyle program is focus on now. It's the best solution for anxiety. You want to go home at the end of the day and feel like you didn't work much the whole day? Focus only on what's in front of you you won't feel the stress from it. I suffered maybe five years ago from anxiety and I would work out a lot to, I trained for marathons and I would get on the treadmill and exhaust myself. And later on, I learned that anxiety came from worrying about something in the past or worrying about what would happen in the future and if all you did was focus your attention on the, I call them segments, the segment that like right now, our segment is doing this video. If we're only focused on this video, 
you can't feel anxiety about anything else. I mean, if I was going to be worried about how it's being received or what you think of me, that's future. If I just focus on the conversation only where it happened, it takes a lot of practice. Yeah, I think I might have read that book, The Power of Now. He does that. Yes, yes. That is one of the books that, that I've read. Yeah, exactly. I think the problem with a lot of folks is, well, I mean, people know this, like, unless you write down one thing a day, and you don't achieve it, a lot of people just don't focus on that one thing. But part of the problem is, which, which is hopefully where I can come in is like, well, what the heck is that one thing I should be doing? Because what I notice a lot of people, they just focus. The one you want to avoid the most. I go through that all the time. I screw up all the time. This is what I have to do today, and I do everything else but. I get a lot done while I'm avoiding it, but I don't get the yeah. right thing done. I'm supposed to find cash flow, so let me go listen to a gazillion podcasts on investing and books. But all that does is just makes you feel good about yourself. And I'll tell you guys listening, like if you guys have been listening to podcasts for more than a year and a half, you guys are just listening to the regurgitated marketing stuff. Like yes. It's just the same stuff over yes. and over again. That's what I've done from the beginning of COVID. The same things. It's a repeat of the same thing. Yes. Yeah, I can yeah. name a whole bunch of names. You would know the names of people I've listened to. And it all comes down to the same thing. I've had calls with maybe since doing this podcast in 2016, usually about 500 a year. So if you add that up, maybe several yeah. thousand people. Wow. I'm sure I've gotten my 100,000 hour thing. But like out of those 3,000 people, Normally, one third of them, or yeah, about a thousand investors have actually kind of jumped into deals with us. I don't know what the hell the other 2000 people do. They probably just lose motivation. Typically, people like take the next step because there's some kind of pain point. It's something they want changed. But as humans, we're pretty resilient. And after three to six months, they just go back to their normal day to day and they don't they don't do anything. Or I guess in your case, they keep they just go back and file their taxes on TurboTax. I get repeat clients. We have people from five and 10 years ago calling us back saying, I thought this guy was going to save me more in taxes, or I thought I can do it myself. And they got in trouble. But, well, I wanted to say it's actually hard because we go through different stages in our life. And some of us have things that happen to us that we didn't prepare for, and like divorces or deaths in the family or destruction of property or acts, physical accidents. And, and if you're not prepared mentally, it's going to knock everything out, out of kilter. Any last tax topic you think the folks at home should be aware of before we sign off here? Yes, absolutely. What I'm trying to get across to people is don't take your IRS situation for granted. I'm on this big kick now to have people be aware that we all have a relationship with the IRS, whether we want to admit it or not. We all have opinions about where our money goes, what the IRS does, what we should do on our tax return, and you really need to up the quality of it. You up the quality of it by getting the transcripts and knowing what they have on you, 
knowing if they logged in all your returns, things like that. Uh, understanding the items on your return doesn't have to be to a great degree, but just basic things. If you have big deductions such as mileage or travel and entertainment, understand what's required for it. That's all. And understand when to pay your taxes. Again, these national companies have people thinking your taxes are due April 15th with the return, but your taxes are due either through withholding or the January 15th, when the fourth quarter's estimate is due. And people break their agreements with the IRS because they're late. They may not get late penalties because they met one of the exemptions, but they broke their agreement. And so up your relationship, pay, spend time figuring out a few things that you don't know. Don't just hand off your tax stuff to someone and close your ears and eyes and say, well, I used to get that in my rotary group a lot. Well, I've had the same CPA for 10 years, and I trust him. Well, trust he has your interests at heart, but don't trust that he's doing everything that is necessary, because if you're walking away not understanding these things I've mentioned, or not knowing that these things are being done, then you're getting a disservice but it's your fault for not asking. So that's my message. Up your relationship with the IRS. All right, folks, you guys can reach out to Joe at taxproblem.org. And if you guys also want to check out all the other tax information that we have, you can go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash tax. Educate yourself, but more importantly, empower yourself so you can have the educated conversation to drive your own ship because this ain't your CPA ship and I don't know if you want to be listening to the CPA for investment advice, because that's why the sucker still has a job. All right. See you guys. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you're the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.